0: Good morning everyone. I was telling the people in first service that I'm in my element with this sun shining outside. I'm an island girl, so sun wakes me up. So if you see me jumping up and down here, it's the sun. (laughs) It's good to be here in the house of the Lord and I pray that you've been blessed by the worship so far. This morning we're going to continue with our series a 2021 mission for a 2021 movement and i pray that as we continue you will be continued to be you will continue to be blessed god 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 if you're there do something that was her prayer over and over and over again it hurts to be poor and so she prays God what about you Have you ever prayed, God, if you're there, do something? Let us pray. Great God, we come before you this morning. We are hungry and thirsty for more of you. Fill us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46. I invite you to take your Bibles or to follow me as I read from the screen. I'm going to read quickly through all 15 verses. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. This kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In this episode, Jesus is ending a long and intense teaching session that he began in Matthew 24, verse 3. In that episode, The disciples ask Jesus as they leave the temple, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In this episode, Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives and he opens the curtains to the future and gives them a glimpse of what to expect. There is no question as to whether the Son of Man will come or whether there will be a judgment. Both are taken as given. Jesus speaks on the assumption that the disciples already know that. What they need now is to understand what the judge expects then so they can prepare now. In Matthew 25, 31 to 46, Jesus sets out the criteria for the judgment of all nations and all people. It is a typical judgment scene, questions, responses, He will separate all the people, put some on his right and some on his left. The sheep, the goats. Some will experience judgment as positive, some will experience it as negative. The sheep are called blessed, the goats are cursed. The sheep inherit eternal life, the goats eternal punishment. The solemn declaration truly echoes back and forth from verses 40 and 41 and draws our attention away from all the drama of the questions and the answers to what is really the central message of the passage. Truly I tell you whatever you did or did not do for one of the least of these you did or did not do for me. If verses 40 and 45 are the criteria for the judgment, then they must be the mandate for our mission. This is what will kindle a mission of compassion and the heart of Jesus' words must be ignited in our own hearts. To implant Jesus' meaning from Matthew 25, 40 and 45 into our hearts, we must successfully defend our understanding of two things, at least. The first thing is whether Jesus uses least of these to refer to some poor or all poor people. To answer that, we must ask, who are these when he says the least of these? These are The poor ones he talked about earlier, the hungry and the naked and the sick and the ones in prison. So the least of these are, the least, are some of the poor, not all of the poor. So the first thing we must embrace is that Jesus calls us to a mission to all poor people. And he's especially keen that our mission touches a set of the poor that he calls the least. The second thing that we need to successfully defend is our understanding of who Jesus calls least in Matthew 25 verses 40 and 45. This will take us a little bit more time to unravel. Once upon a time, people thought that what Jesus means by least of these is positive. The noble saints who suffer for the cause of Christ. Only apostles, missionaries, members of the Christian church, or baptized members could fall into that category. Nowadays, least of these is much more negative because it embraces all the suffering poor people in the world. But what is interesting is that the meaning of how we determine least of these has never changed. It has always been about money. In other words, people think that Jesus uses economic indicators to identify those who are the least of these. And so they do the same. And it makes sense, right? I mean, it seems logical, practical, intuitive. Because Jesus talks about food, drink, shelter, clothes, and transportation to visit those in prison. It seems obvious that Jesus is talking about an economic an economic situation. It's a no-brainer. Jesus is saying that the least of these are those who cannot independently provide for their basic needs. These people are the hungriest, the sickest, the most naked, the most hopeless of the imprisoned. And they may be inside or outside the church, depending on how far we believe that Jesus wants us to extend our compassion. In 21st century North America, these people would probably fall far below the poverty line of $26,200 that the federal government sets for a family of four. These people could probably not only not buy enough food, but could not pay rent, buy clothes, and make car payments. Since the pandemic began in 2020, there has been a new dimension to poverty in America. Many people have lost jobs, and if you check it out, it's not the usual demographics. Can you imagine what these people are experiencing? Perhaps you don't have to imagine. Maybe you're one of them, or maybe you know someone who is. For you, It is very real. Perhaps when you read Matthew 25, you immediately see yourself or someone you know. If you believe that Jesus identifies the least of these as the result of some economic formula, then you can probably embrace Christian mission simply as social action. Providing real help, To real people with real problems. The bottom line is that missions is about money. It makes sense because economic needs demand an economic response. At least. If people are defined by social standards, then why should missions be anything else? This kind of Christianity is very attractive to the world because it creates a religion of love. It's practical, it's inclusive, and supposedly more authentic. There is nothing about a religion based on deeds of love only that says it has to be Christian or rooted in Jesus. The good news is that this religion of love is sensitive to the suffering in the world. Would the judge approve of this? Absolutely in Matthew 25, Jesus is passionate about practical, inclusive, and authentic religion. However, the implications of this religion are staggering. This religion of love serves an eviction notice on Jesus because there is no kind there's no need for his kind of salvation. This religion of love is a homeless religion because the religion is not Christian, it's not Buddhist, it's not anything. Missions then, if you can call it that, really has little, if anything, to do with what we think or what we believe. It's all about what we do in the world. Would the judge approve? I don't think so. Not in Matthew 25. For Jesus, life is not all about what we do. This homeless religion, though, creeps into the Christian church when Christians decide based on ever-present economic lenses. That's how we make our decisions. It's that favorite pair of old glasses we should have thrown out long ago. We decode people using some economic index, someone's perceived wealth, Based on their food, their drink, their clothes, their house, their health insurance, their trips abroad. Would the judge approve? Not in Matthew 25. Long ago, before modernism and economics changed the way we think, 3rd century theologian Origen suggested that we think about the deeds of love and the church's mission through spiritual not literal lenses. So being nourished with the spiritual food, clothed with the clothing of wisdom, filled with spiritual correction or comfort by the family of faith. To take in a stranger means taking someone in into the house of Christ. Would the judge approve? Absolutely. In Matthew 25, Jesus cares about what we think. From this purely spiritual approach though, the Christian mission is then spiritual reasoning to world suffering. It becomes entirely about right belief, all about what we think. Missions really has little, if any, bearing on what we do. Would the judge approve? Not in Matthew 25. For Jesus, it is not all about what we think. So it is neither all about all what we think or about all that we do. So who are the least of these and what does our Lord expect when he comes? For Jesus, the least of these is not the result of some economic formula. Given the way Jesus is in Matthew, that's not that's not his character. Jesus is less concerned about externals and more about internals. Less about equality and more about equity. He models to his disciples the kind of compassion that is appropriate for the kingdom. To call the poor least just because they're poor is like kicking a person who is already down. That is not Jesus' practice. And it should not be ours. What Jesus wants us to know and to practice, he tells us. He tells his disciples about contrasting sets of end time people. This one ready for the kingdom, that one not ready. This one, this servant is faithful and wise, the other wicked. These virgins are wise, these virgins are foolish. These servants are good and faithful, that servant is lazy and wicked. And now sheep and goats. What do wise servants, wise virgins, and good and faithful servants have in common? It is not economic. What do foolish virgins, lazy servants, and wicked servants have in common? It is not economic. In every case, the two groups are strikingly similar, almost identical from the outside. But Jesus pierces the heart for a closer look. Why would Jesus now switch to use an economic measure to separate and describe people? Notice, notice, notice how the economic way of pricing people discounts and divides human beings. No one wants to be at the bottom of the shelf. And if by some misfortune we find ourselves there, we spend the rest of our lives trying desperately to climb up. Equally dehumanizing and extremely unfortunate is when we consider ourselves least, and then we consciously or unconsciously give other people license to treat us as if we have no worth because we have no wealth. What a vicious cycle. Is this how Jesus would want us to identify the least of these? I don't think so. It is true that in the search for security in this life, we sometimes innocently give money priority over God and priority over people. Watch it. Money does not have a good reputation in Matthew. Money competes with God for worship in 624. Prevents the rich young ruler from following Jesus in 1922. It's behind all the ruckus in the temple which makes it a den of thieves, 2113. It's used to test Jesus about paying taxes, 2220. Rewards Judas for betraying Jesus, 2615. And money motivates the soldiers to lie about Jesus' body after the resurrection, 2815. When a former tax collector writes such unfavorable reports about money, I think we should pay attention. But it is precisely money that sometimes get in the way of our mission. Unfortunately, some of us spend too much time calculating before we we think we can respond to a missional call. I can almost hear the avalanche of questions falling in your mind now. What does that mean practically? How much should I give? How often should I give? When should I stop? What if people try to con me? Time is money, we know. It's difficult to find times for missions with busy lives, especially in this community. We're either studying or working, giving tests or taking tests, going to work or coming from work. It's constant. And the pandemic does not make it easier. But is that what Jesus is asking? That we make some time in our busy schedule to fit in some missions here and there? I don't think so. Not in Matthew 25. Those whom Jesus commend were completely clueless that they did anything special to anyone. All they did was act like human beings to other human beings in the course of being human. It is who they are in the normal course of their lives. Participating with others with respect, love, compassion, selflessness. They did not make any special effort to do anything. They didn't spend time calculating expected reward or benefit. Not tit for tat. I'll scratch your back if, you know, if, if you'll scratch mine. They were willing to scratch someone's back with no hands. Someone who had no hands. That is why they win the approval from Jesus. That is how we will win the world. Those who Jesus comments, He rewards, although they did not act for a reward, all they want to do is live like His servants. Jesus says in Matthew 20:26 20, that the one who wants to become great must be a servant. Could it be that it's our attitude toward the poor is the result of a direct misunderstanding of what Jesus means by least of these? Could it be that our mission is being made impossible because of the dissonance between our belief and our actions? Do you see the conundrum we're in? It's not that we need to know who who Jesus calls the least so that we can do our duty and be ready for the judgment. It is that we need to hear and decide whether we will allow Jesus' love to change our minds and move our hearts. If the love of Jesus is not ruling in our hearts, we will not be ready for the second coming of Christ. In Matthew 25, what, what, what matters most to Jesus are the genuine acts of compassion and kindness that flow from a heart that is being transformed. Transformed. Jesus knows that apples don't make apple trees. Apple trees make apples. For some of us, it is going to be a struggle not to see people through economic lenses. It is going to take an uprooting and a splitting and a tearing and a breaking. It is going to make us uncomfortable. But is that what Jesus is trying to do in Matthew 25? Make his disciples comfortable? I don't think so. So how will you decide? How will you decide how Jesus identifies the least of these? How you answer will depend on who you are. Not who you are in terms of who your name is or who your father is, but who you are in terms of how you answer the big questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What is life all about? What happens at the end? Who you are is about your attitude, your inclination, your bent of mind, your direction in life. If economics is central to your life, then economics will give you the answer. If Jesus is central to your life, then Jesus should give you the answer. When Jesus says least of these in Matthew 25, he expects his disciples to understand it in light of who he is and in light of their previous conversations. It's the same with all of your other friends. If my friend Ragnilt from Norway sends me an email, I read that email in, by the fact, in the way I know her and what we talked about before. So to hear the heartbeat of Jesus' words about latest in Matthew 25, or about least in Matthew 25, we should listen for hints he left us in other places in Matthew. As we follow along Jesus' path in Matthew, we hear him speak of the least in Matthew five seventeen to 19. Read with me on the screen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, and there's that word again, truly I tell you, solemn declaration, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the sm- least stroke of a pen will, of the, from the law will disappear until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So there it is. That's the verdict. Jesus calls least any person who sets aside, breaks, ignores, nullifies, all those words, the least of the, command, of the commandments. But if Jesus comes to fulfill the smallest detail of the law, which commandment do you think he downgrades the least? The answer is none. There is no least commandment. The religious leaders in Jesus' time would rank the commandments. Jesus mimics that culture, turns that thinking upside down as a warning trivialize even the smallest item in God's law, and you will be trivialized yourself, because unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So least of these in Matthew 25 are those poor people who do not obey the commandments, the poor people who are unbelievers. They are least not because of any deficiency in their humanity, Not because of the size of their bank account, not because of their ethnicity, not because of their level of education. They are at least because they trivialize the commandments or they teach others to do the same. So Jesus seems to be saying to his disciples, I expect you to show compassion to any person who is poor, even to the one who does not keep the commandments. Even to the unbeliever. Your mission is not only to show mercy to the poor who are members of your faith community. If you are kind only to those who are your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Even the pagans do that, he says to them in 547. Your mission is to show mercy to all those suffering in poverty, even the unbeliever. For when you show mercy to the unbeliever, you show mercy to me. In Matthew 25, Jesus makes it clear that our mission is not only social, it is also spiritual. It is not only being, it is also doing. Jesus loves every one of us. He loves the poor so much so that he will hold the rest of us eternally responsible for how we treat the poor. So it is with tears in his eyes and tears in his voice and deep tenderness that Jesus says to the goats on his left, Depart from me. Jesus calls all of us to see that the way we live today has eternal consequences, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And then after he said that to his disciples, three days later, he dies. He dies To save the poor, the least of these, the ones on the right, the ones on the left. For the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. How is that for a religion of love? Three days later, he is alive again. Savior to the poor, Savior to the least of these, Savior to the ones on the right, Savior to the ones on the left. That, my friends, is a paradoxical, life-changing good news of the gospel. One dies, all get new life. One rises to life, all has an opportunity to eternal life. How is that for inclusive? Inclusive. The the gospel is not homeless. It is rooted in Jesus. He is our savior. He is our king. He is the judge. He is our Lord. He is the son of man. He is everything we need. The gospel is not homeless. That is good news for the homeless. That is good news for the sick. That is good news for the prisoner. That is good news for the rich. Our mission is rooted in Jesus, the real God with real feelings and real plans for real people. How is that for authentic? But isn't it tragic that while so many are destitute for good news, we have not told them. Isn't it heartbreaking that many do not feel Jesus' inclusive love from us? If we would fulfill our mission and be prepared for the coming of the Son of Man, as I know we all want to be, then we must change. We must surrender our heart to Jesus so that he can transform the way we live and the way we love. And as he does, allow, him, allow your heart to access your head and move your feet. The Christian mission is first being, then doing, spiritually, socially, holistically. So Jesus, tell us, what advice would you give us to help share this good news? Jesus answers us in Matthew seven twelve. If the tables were turned, what would you want someone to do for you? Do that for them. Partner with me, he says, and help people find where they need to be. I love you all so much. That's the reason I came. Will you love each other for me? Serve each other as people whom I love and cherish? Here are five things It's five quick things you can do to start. One, stop. Stop stigmatizing the poor. Let us appreciate each other as children of God. Many of us would spend our last dime to clothe or feed Jesus, if we know it is Jesus. But what if he comes as a servant and not as a king? Let us appreciate someone today. Two, once you've stopped, then the next thing is look. Before we can bring the beauty of the meaning of the gospel to people, we must find a way to enter into their world, to see them and and see as they see and feel what they feel and understand what they long for. This is what Christ did when he came to our world. Look out for someone today. So we stop, we look, the next thing is we listen. If we would share the good news about coming to Jesus so that it is sweet for others to hear, we must learn to listen. Listen to learn. Learn to sense their hunger, their thirst, their sickness, whatever, and respond appropriately. Listen to someone today. Stop, look, listen, then think. The heart of missions is missions with a heart. But we must realize that our best efforts without Jesus are going to fail. It doesn't matter how clever or creative we are. If we're going to do what Jesus says, we must first be in him. If we're going to go where Jesus sends, we must first come to him. If we're going to teach what Jesus says, we must first learn from him. There is no other way. Surrender to Jesus today. Stop, look, listen, think, and then act. It was Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. The needs are many and varied and so are the opportunities. Mentor, advocate, volunteer, pray, donate, support others who are working with those in need. Freely you have received, freely give. And so now we'll, I'll share with you another opportunity from neighbor to neighbor as to how you might act.
1: So, this week we got a request from Pastor Jen. Um, she wanted to know what we needed help with prayer for. We always need volunteers, but we need specific volunteers. We need people that want to make a difference in someone's life, somebody with the heart. Yeah. We know that the people that we get here are going to smell bad or look bad or may just not be what you expect, may not be the people you are accustomed hanging out with. But if you have a heart for service, think of us as being the house by the side of the road. If you are the house by the side of the road, you don't get to dictate who the travelers are. And so expect anything. And if you say, I want to be the person that God could use to, for somebody else to see a picture of Jesus in me, then you're that person. So we want to ask the community to pray for us as we try to meet those goals.
0: So will you allow Jesus to move you to make a difference in someone's life? Jesus says, it breaks my heart to hear those prayers. God... God, God, if you're there, do something. And so when he he says, when I hear them coming from my own children, this is what I'm going to say. You do it. I'm sending you.